Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of Military Mom Talk Radio. And we've got such a cool topic today, Rob. We're going to be talking about relationship sanity with Dr. Mark Borg a little later in the show. And he has written this book with his buddies, Grant Brenner, who is an MD, uh, Dr. Mark Borg is a PhD, and then Daniel Barry is an RN. So these three guys came together to write a book called Relationship Sanity Creation and maintaining healthy relationships. And they've, over the years, worked with people in resiliency, Rob. And people <laughs> in resilient relationships are like co-owners. They experience all this reciprocity and they're better able to meet challenges like authentically and effectively as a couple. And this book works for husbands and wives. It works for, you know, mothers and daughters. It works for coworkers. You know, there's a lot of great stuff in this book. Um, and these are the guys that wrote that book, Irrelationship. And uh, that was a bestseller a couple years ago. And they, they have these practices that um, allow people to view each other's relationships and then to view the relationship as a third entity, which is pretty cool, Rob, because you've got this, you've got, you know, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with Steven, but then there's also a third party in the relationship, which is the relationship. You know, you've got to take care of you, you got to take care of Rob, and you got to take care of the relationship. So it explores some of these things, which is pretty cool. It's fascinating. I really love the concept of this because when you stop and think about a relationship, the first thing you think about is a romantic one. But there are so many relationships in our lives that are crucial to our well-being. And when you stop and think of the health of each one of those relationships, whether it's a coworker, whether it's your boss, if you have um, a relationship that's not running smoothly, say with your uh, superiors in your work environment or, or whatnot, this is very challenging. Um, and it affects, it's almost poisonous to every other relationship in your life if it's not uh, running smoothly. I love the fact that they are nurturing every kind of relationship in your life. Well, it is. I mean, you think of relationships between friends and, you know, as people age and they get married, they have kids, they go through death and divorce, they might move. So, you know, keeping your sanity in your relationships, I think is really important. And what about between adult siblings and adult family members? Well, absolutely. And think about how they have to ebb and flow. Just because your relationship might have been fine when you are at the beginning of a relationship, think about our work relationship. Ours has changed over the years because we personally have changed over the years. We have, we have. And you know, the, the hardest relationship I have up until this point, Rob, has been with the right bra. I know that sounds really silly, but when you wear the wrong bra or the wrong size or it doesn't fit right or the straps slip, you're in for a rotten day. 
Mm. Isn't it true? Because if you don't feel pulled to put together well, your everything else that you're going to do that day is going to be just off. And when you're off, you're not confident. You're not carrying yourself well. And you know, San, we have a sponsor, Third Love, who I absolutely love. Um, it, talk about a third love. You've got your relationship and you've got your bra. And those are the loves in your life. Because if your bra doesn't fit right, you just are not going to function with everything else. You know, Third Love is the industry leader with 70 sizes. Most companies, you're lucky if you have a small, medium, and large kind of size. But I love the fact that Third Love remembers that every woman is unique. Every woman is different. They have 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. Well, and the other thing, Rob, is like, you know, when you wear a bra, you put it on in the morning, or at least if you're like me, and you wear it all day. Like, I don't take it off till I go to bed. I mean, I might take it off in the gym. Sometimes I wear my bra under my sports bra. It depends on what kind of fitness I'm doing. But the fabrics in Third Love, I have to say, I own six of them. And I've been a Third Love wearer for at least three years now. And the fabrics, the cups, like they don't chafe. I don't get little, like some bras leave red marks under my armpits or they irritate my back. And it's, it's important that you wear the right size bra. And for years I didn't. And I took this fit finder quiz and it, you know, it takes, you know, a, a minute or so. And you answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit. And, you know, 10 million women have taken this quiz to date. And it's actually pretty fun. I didn't know that breast shape mattered. I knew there was a cup size. I knew there was a band size. And, you know, I have slopey shoulders, so the um, straps are always falling off. But on the third love, they have these soft little ridges that help stay in put where it is. But, you know, most women, like 50% of women fall between the standard cup size. And I know depending on the bra, I can get a 36C or a 38C or a 38D and the cups are completely different. It's very true. And I think that's what's wonderful about Third Love's team of expert fit finders. They're dedicated to helping you find the perfect fit. If it doesn't fit the first time, you return it. And I will attest to how easy it is to return. The first one that I got didn't fit exactly right. I was able to just put it right back in the mail, free shipping. Another one came right back to me. I want to say that turnaround time, Sam, is about a week, if not 10 days. It was so fast. Um, and I got the perfect fit because they are dedicated to making sure that you are happy. Well, and that's really important. Um, you know, I want to just give the code out real quick and we're going to give it a couple times. Go to thirdlove.com slash MMTR, like Military Mom Talk Radio, to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first order. Now, they also have a cotton collection. I live in Southern California, so it can be, you know, it's not uncommon for five, six months of the year for it to be 100 degree days. And I'm sorry, you're just going to want to have something natural against your skin especially in that heat and I wear a lot of t-shirts so it's really important for me that they have this um this cotton t-shirt bra and cotton underwear line that they recently launched and you know what it took them two years to develop this perfect cotton collection which is made of this premium cotton called pima but the result like I don't really care what it's made of as long as you know we're not killing anything to make it um 
but it's this really small, or I'm sorry, really soft and smooth and breathable bra that you'll want to wear every day and you can just live in it and it breathes. It is wonderful. I don't think I'd ever felt anything as soft as when I got that bra and you first touch it. It just is the most incredible scrumptious and then putting it on, it feels like it's just a part of you. I'm so excited that our listeners can go to thirdlove.com slash MMTR right now and they're going to find their perfect fitting bra and get 15% off their first purchase. That's, that's incredible. ThirdLove.com/mmtr. Oops, sorry, Rob. I didn't mean to talk over that. ThirdLove.com/mmtr for that perfect fitting bra and get fifteen percent off. The other thing I'd like to add is that I throw these suckers in the wash. You know, I know you're supposed to use a bra bag, and I know you're supposed to hand wash them and take really good care of them, but that's just not going to happen in my house. My eighty-five-year-old dad helps with the laundry. My teenage sons help with the laundry. So kind of everything gets shoved in the laundry, and then shoved in the dryer and um yeah they've gotten worn a little bit in you know 18 months and three years but they're still good like my older ones bob those are the ones that i wear when i need extra support and i'm you know i'm like running or i'm i'm doing heavy impact um workout i need that extra support so i'll wear my older third love bra under a sports bra and again no chafing no pinching no cupping no you know it's just they're really a great product it is a great product. You know what I like best? You can purchase and shop right from your home because you don't need to go to the mall. You can skip that trip and you can just spend it right in the comfort of your own home, get the right fit in your own home, and voila, it comes to you right in the mail in your own home. Can't be Yep, yep. Yeah. All right. So we're going to bring on Dr. Mark Borg next. He is the author of Relationship Sanity. We're going to talk about some tips, tricks, and techniques that we can get the best out of our relationships because why else have a relationship if they're not fun, if they're not loving, if they don't, you know, put loneliness at bay, if they don't give us support. These are really important things in a relationship. And we live in a country where especially divorce is rampant and it's so easy to just slot something in or slot somebody in with someone new. And we really miss the richness of relationships when we do that. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk with Dr. Mark Borg. His book is called Relationship Sanity. You can find it on Amazon. He's a really neat guy, Rob. And um, I know everybody's going to enjoy listening to him. Sounds like a plan. Can't wait. We'll be back. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. This is 
Sandra back, and we've got a great show today. We're going to be visiting today with Dr. Mark Ward. Now, he is one of three authors that put together this great book called Relationship Sanity, Creating and Maintaining Healthy Relationships. He wrote it with Dr. Grant Brenner and Daniel Barry, and it's the second in a series of two books, and the concept of having sanity in a relationship to me, when I got the book, first of all, it's orange, my favorite color. So you want to go to copy of it. And you can see it from space, which is great. Um, but we actually get into relationships to make our lives better, but that's not always the case. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Uh, Borg with us today because relationship sanity, we don't want to go insane in relationships. And that's what many of us do. Welcome to today's show. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So why write a book? Why write a book about relationship sanity? And why write with three guys? I got to tell okay. you, three guys coming together. That's <laughs> impressive. That's a great question. Uh, well, I mean, it started out with one guy, me, um, trying to figure out something that I've been you know, provoked by for my whole life. And that is, you know, what is it? Why, when we are in these caretaking roles, I'm a psychologist, I'm a psychoanalyst, I'm a community psychologist. I've been doing all this work and over all these years. Um, started out in a psychiatric hospital in California for, uh, for children uh, and adolescents. And so, you know, I would wonder at times, like, why did all this giving that I was doing, why didn't it feel better? Why didn't I feel good at the end of the day? Why didn't I feel good after, you know, going into the psychiatric hospital and working eight hours with these kids, sometimes 16 on a double, and then taking that forward and have all of this experience, but, you know, sort of netting the good feeling, like, minimally. So, you know, so I started wondering, like, what might be you know, sort of a, 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 a trick or some kind of a problem in the caretaking operation itself. And I, at that point, started thinking about a dynamic that I called uh, human antidepressant. And, uh, and, and what better way to address uh, a caregiving problem in myself than by allowing two people who I really respect and care about to come in and join this project and care about me by, by helping me write you know, whatever this human antidepressant project, which is what we called it back then, was going to become. So allowing or inviting Danny and Grant into this project in, in a funny way was really kind of tackling the compulsive caregiving dilemma in myself and allowing myself to be loved and cared for in a way that ultimately winds up feeling much more sane. Well, and what I love about this is when, I've, when I first thought about the book, Relationship Sanity, I thought like boy-girl relationship or, mm -hmm. you know, that type of relationship. And then I thought about it and I'm like, you guys had to have a healthy relationship in order to have a successful book come out in order to produce this work. So clearly you guys knew a little bit about getting along. <laughs> and then I applied it to my own life. You know, I'm a single mom with two kids and I have, I'm a veteran caregiver. I care for my 85 year old dad. And I thought, you know, caregiving is innate in many of us. It's kind of over ramped up. I end up having three rescue dogs, my two single kids, my dad, I've got my whole menagerie and it could drive me crazy, but there's a lot of things in your book that keeps me from going crazy and driving them crazy in an effort to help them. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I, it's funny you said that because, um, <laughs> you know, the, I think we would all get a little bit tickled by the idea of, you know, how well we get along and whatever, whatever. And we have different kind of metaphors or analogies for looking at the way in which we interact and what can we compare it to. Some of us like to compare it to a, 
you know, a marriage. I think mm -hmm. of, you know, the work with Danny and Grant as being similar to a marriage. I think uh, some of us are a little less comfortable with that, like to think it's sort of more, more strictly corporate or business. But, but even that, you know, even the differences mm -hmm. that we bring in to this trio, you know, has, has required us to challenge the way in which we think about relating to people. Exactly what you said. I too thought when I was writing about uh, human antidepressant many, many years ago, um, that there was a paper actually published in 2010, which we kind of uh, riffed off to, to do this work. Um, I definitely thought that it was related mostly to romance, um, even though, you know, if you think about what I said in the opening, I, I experienced the caregiving burnout a lot professionally. Sure. So it's very interesting that the Grant and Danny Mark trio has kind of elements of, of both the professional and the personal, and that quite honestly, the development of the irrelationship theory has largely been, especially when it gets into relationship sanity, a way to help Grant and Danny and I get along and function effectively as a trio. Which to me, like you guys prove my rule. You know, I, I have a horse ranch and I have, I tend to have a lot of dogs and animals, <laughs> but I never like to have three dogs at once. Because there's always a conflict. There's always a fight. And I think, you know, I have two boys. And so that's kind of a fair fight. And then there's grandpa that can be a trio. Uh -huh. but the trio, I think, is the hardest thing to navigate because we live in a culture of duos. You go to a yeah. restaurant, two seats on each booth, you know, or two right. chairs on each side. You go to a, right. a carnival or go to Six Flags. You cannot ride a roller coaster as a single mom with two kids. There's always <laughs> Sophie's choice. Who has to sit by themselves? You yes. know, or when they were younger, I used to leave one kid with the roller coaster attendant, ride with one child, get off, bring the other child on while he watched the other child. I mean, we are a, a we are set up as duos, and trios create some different conflicts and we get trios a lot in office relationships we get trios in marriages there can be a sibling or a parent or in my case max husband didn't stop dating so there was a girlfriend in the relationship uh -huh, uh -huh. you know trios are are tricky yeah well they are and i mean if you think about even like this the, the dawn of psychoanalysis itself is based on a trio which is the mommy daddy me Freud looked at it as being the Oedipal conflict is really about a three, you know, and again, we see it doesn't resolve well in a funny sense, you know, to not resolve the conflict, to become the victor and to, to gain access to our parents, obviously horrible in terms of enmeshment, et cetera. And then, you know, to lose the Oedipal conflict is to then identify with the stronger parent and develop a superego, whatever. What, what the point really being that it is powerful. It, it is trio is a power, power in our culture that I think we have not yet developed good tools for navigating, I think is, is another way of putting that. So, uh, you know, I, I want to be very, very clear and honest that like the trio of, you know, Dr. Grant Brenner and, yeah, you know, head nurse Danny Barry and, you know, psychoanalyst Mark Morgan, you know, all three of us have had to work for years now. We've been together for eight years and we've all had to find a way to create ownership of this project. We've all had to really claim our space and to allow ourselves to come in as ourselves. You know, perhaps we each come in contorting ourselves to the other person's expectations or what we imagine them to be there are definitely unions and alliances that form and then have to either get broken or betrayed I mean 
we have developed especially the tools that now result in what we call relationship sanity, largely by working so hard to fit each one of us intimately as ourselves into this very, very topsy-turvy trio. Well, absolutely. I mean, you have, you've got this trio working on a project together and then everybody's got to stay in their lane and then you have ego conflicts and then you have aha moments. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at a lot of the teams that I work on. I'm, I'm a big collaborator mm-hmm. and I tend to stay silent in the collaboration until I'm like, all right, enough, everybody get in your lane, everybody, <laughs> yes. you know, because it really is hard and it does take skill to navigate relationships, whether it's with your business partners, whether it's with a co-parent or an existing parent. We have a lot of multi-generational families now because of the economy that, you know, parents are brought in, you know, we've got, my house was eight to 80 for many years. And that's a, you know, those require some skills. It's not like you just pop out like on television or social media and you have the skill set to navigate. Right. Well, and the challenge, I think, of taking on those, those you know, day-in, day-out mundane dilemmas, I think that taking on those challenges and actually allowing ourselves to be affected by the circumstance, by the people involved, by whatever contributions every single person in the household is making, maybe including the dogs, and, you know, every, every, like everything, right? Everyone is a contributor. Everyone comes to the table. Everyone needs to be valued and feel like what they are contributing is being valued, taken in, and being made use of. See, that's interesting because that's exactly where the whole relationship sanity thing comes in. We believe that in the first book, irrelationship is this dynamic, it's this dilemma where two people in a relationship are doing all the giving. They, everybody believes that they're giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, but the problem is, is that when both people are giving at full speed, full bore, full intensity, then obviously the collision of giving is happening somewhere and nothing is getting in. So we really believe that is a crazy making situation, that that is the equivalent of relationship insanity. And relationship sanity happens when we put the fire hose of care down and we start accepting what the other person has to offer. It's really interesting because the definition of sanity is soundness of mind. Right. Well, and I, you know, when you were talking, I kept thinking about, Everything in our culture teaches us to be independent. You know, mm. I look from, from not only, you know, religious training, and I'm the product of two great religions. I'm the product mm. of Judaism and, and Christianity, so I mm. feel like I, I have a handle a little bit on both. Mm. Um, but you're taught to uh, lend and not borrow. You're taught wow. to give and not take. It's better yes. to give than receive. And, you know, so we get that. And then we go into the schools and you look at the schools today, which is do not share your food, do not oh. share your pencils, do not share your erasers. Everything is, is stay independent, you know, and then we look on social media and we hear everybody's got to be hard open. And, you know, there's all <laughs> duality conflicting messages. Uh-huh. And then you have for the first time in history, women serving in the military, you know, one out of five service men and women is female. Mm-hmm. You have highly educated women like myself with a master's degree from Northwestern yeah. ought to be independent. And when I move in my circles and my circles include a lot of medical doctors, judges, lawyers, you know, very, very high powered women. 
the question always arises, Dr. Mark, and I hope you can shed some light on this, is what the point then is a relationship for? Because historically, our mothers needed it because they were the caretakers and their husbands made the money. They took care of the home. And now we have these, these women that come out into the world who are taught to be independent, who are taught to take care of things. You can actually go make a baby at a clinic. Yep. So when I look at a relationship and it's, what's the point? Like, really, yep. why would anyone get married today? Why would anyone get in a relationship with <clears throat> the proliferation of everything out there? Okay, so Grant Brenner and I, are uh, graduates of a psychoanalytic institute called the William Allison White Institute for Psychiatry, Psychoanalysis, and Psychology. And it's like this um, so-called cultural model of psychoanalysis. It was an early model that wasn't just about like everything going on in your head and let's look at that like Freud, but it's actually a, a model of psychoanalytic treatment that really does account for other people and cultural institutions and the way in which we're affected by real life things going on day in and day out. So the answer that we have to your question number one is that people in, in this model of thinking are actually, and relationships are powerful forms of like an auxiliary psychological defense system. So relationships actually can operate to help decrease anxiety, quite literally. You know, like you're caught up in something, you're busy, you've got a project, you've got a purpose, it works against all of our existential anxieties and blah, blah, blah. So we think of anxiety in my, in my school of thinking and Grant, we think of anxiety as being like that ubiquitous thing that we all need to figure out ways of navigating our way through relationships, jobs, education, especially relationships are a very powerful way of mitigating and decreasing felt anxiety, especially overwhelming anxiety that would knock us out of functioning. So that would seem to be the answer to your question about why have relationships? Well, because they're really good at helping us decrease anxiety, mitigate, function, etc. However, even though our school just so heavily emphasizes treating anxiety, we believe there is one thing that is even worse than anxiety and that really, really, we just cannot live with as human creatures who are really cultural entities, that, that, and that is loneliness. Mm, like human beings we're not meant to be lonely like loneliness is the ultimate punishment whether it's self-imposed or imposed by others there's a reason why solitary confinement is the very very worst punishment that we can offer each other there's a reason for that so the answer to your question is we i'm so biased when it comes to this so if you need to take it with a grain of salt but i believe we truly need each other we absolutely need each other and even if we're not in genuine interaction with each other, I also believe that our good early environments, i.e. parents, can be internalized to still keep us feeling safe and secure and less lonely, even when we're between relationships. Mm -hmm. We carry all that love and care with us. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because people ask me those questions all the time. Like, well, say, Mark Borg says. Mark Borg <laughs> says, yes. We need each other. We need <laughs> Well, but, you know, we live in a, we live in a society of distractions. Yes. You know, when you look at, you know, you look at social media gives a lot of people that feeling of being part of something, part of a community, then, yeah. you know, notwithstanding, we've got porn. So that can handle the online porn can handle another yeah. aspect of yeah, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have this constant digital distraction with our phones. 
So when you talk about decreasing anxiety, I think, oh, well, we live in a society where there's a pill for everything. You decrease your loneliness. Well, there's, there's social media, you know, when you look at a good relationship, what a good relationship can do, let's talk about then what a bad relationship will do. Because if the purpose of a relationship, and just go with me here, is to decrease anxiety, to decrease loneliness, the most anxious I ever was in my life and the most lonely I ever felt was in a bad marriage. Bingo. See, that is point blank why we wrote your relationship because we believe and this is really ironic and for some people hard to get a grasp of but we believe that ironically the most powerful way to sustain loneliness is also in a relationship but it's in this relationship dynamic called your relationship where everybody feels like they're doing all the giving nobody's taking in what the other one has to offer therefore we are quite literally in the compulsive care taking, protecting ourselves from the four major things that we need from relationships if we're going to feel less anxious and lonely, which are intimacy, empathy, vulnerability, and emotional investment. If we inadvertently protect ourselves from those four things, then we have, instead of created a relationship, we have created an irrelationship to sustain our loneliness. And it's, it's, I feel it's epidemic, and I think you're queuing into some of the really, some of the factors that make this possible. One, I think that we're taught so much about giving and not very much about receiving. We're not taught to take in what other people have to give us because if we don't take it in, the other person isn't going to feel valuable. Right. There's only one way to feel valuable in life, and that is to you know feel like what I have to give you is being taken in and even more so, I think, made use of, you know, like a parent's care for a kid. You see it. You see what the love does in a child. The child takes that love and it becomes confidence and they're out, confidence and they're out on the playing field and they're getting into adolescence and they're dating people and they're making friends. That A lot of that is the love that they've taken with them and they're making use of. So when we don't allow other people to give to us, we basically tell them implicitly, you don't matter to me. You've got nothing good to give me, and I'm seeing it running rampant in our society right now. And I think largely, again, it gets augmented by all this self-care that we can do by you know, turning on Facebook or Twitter or pornography, whatever it is. It's all checking out. It's all self-sufficiency. It's all taking care. I mean, I'm using the word self-care, obviously, quite facetiously, but in a funny way when it comes to anxiety, it is ironically self-care because I just check out and I don't need anyone. Right. It's scary. It's scary to think what happens when we don't need each other, when we don't acknowledge self-sufficiency. I mean like 12 step programs actually call self-sufficiency a bone crushing juggernaut. (laughs) I think we, we quote that actually in our first book. Well, and it's, it's interesting to me because I, I look at, my, I'm just going to use my peer group. Many of them cannot even accept a simple compliment. Mm. Like you look pretty today or your hair looks good today. But conversely, you know, I, I work a lot with men because I work a lot with the military. Mm. We've got men now afraid to give a woman a compliment right? because of everything that's gone down in the media. So yeah. we, we've now created these environments where we, 
do not give and take. We just give. Yeah. We don't know how to take and yeah. how to receive. Yes. And the roles are blurred. You know, when I think of my dad, he used to come home. Sometimes he'd bring my mom flowers or he'd bring something for her because he was at work all day and she was at home. And then she would create his meal and the family meal and she would have his laundry done. And there were all these things that looked like chores. Mm. But when I reflect back now, I see they were acts of love. That's and right. I only know this because I used to iron wrinkles in my brother's shirts when I was mad at him. So when I loved them, I would <laughs> iron their shirts nice. And <laughs> I would iron like a big wrinkle down their side or put a wrinkle. <laughs> <on their back>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now we live in takeout world and we have yeah. housekeepers and people to help clean. And we have, you know, the shirts that I love for my kids, those LL Bean wrinkle free, throw them in the dryer. They come out. We don't need to iron. <laughs> right. But with all these conveniences, Dr. Borg, we have also removed a lot of the mutual care that we would show towards each other that's exactly right you know that i i grew up in the 80s in la area newport beach and uh you know so i was a punk you know i loved all those punk bands you know i had one myself you know and i loved uh the band um the dead kennedys my of course my mother just hated that and hated the you know title of course but they had this wonderful album called give me convenience or give me death and this was back in the 80s, right? So already they were queuing into this dynamic where, you know, if we can't be convenienced, you know, we, we were conveniencing ourselves to death, right? You know, somehow or other, we are just absolutely you know, uh, caught up in all of the fabric of convenience. And we are avoiding all of these things that allow us to be in this very, very mundane process of giving and receiving like you're suggesting about your parents i love the example because i think you're absolutely right people are constantly telling me but like how does this play out between parents and children isn't that whole giving and taking thing uh, something that can only happen between equals you know say husbands and wives or husbands and husbands whatever i'm like are you kidding like it is so important in the most mundane areas of our life a kid comes home with a good grade on a paper i'm thrilled you know a kid comes home with a conflict and trusts me to help her deal with it, that is care. You know, like accepting that all of these little tiny ways that we love each other, that we trust each other with our most sensitive issues, to me, these are the profound places that we care for each other, you know? And, and you're right, you know, some of these things that happen in society that get us so frightened to give each other compliments, to reach out to each other, you know, they, they, they scare us away Yep. Welcome to New York. <laughs> Welcome to New York. I love when you're talking about anxiety, like the, the New York sirens were going, and now we're talking, there's more chunk, chunk, chunk. <laughs> Been all right so far. But anyways, I just love the example of your parents. And I, and I love the example of your brother, too. He's like, I'm going to show you something. You know, I'll show you what it's like when I do care for you, and I'll show you what it's like when I don't. You know, fine. Because it's all very intimate. It's all very getting to know each other as we actually are in the living of our lives. Mm -hmm. That's well, what that's the thing in, in certain work groups, um, depending on the industry that I'm in, you know, some of my industries that I work in military firearm, and then, you know, I have real estate so that, you know, you talk about a big dichotomy between <laughs> there's the touchy feelies on one side and then there's absolutely do not bring any emotions to work on the other side. Right. And, you know, when we go out and do these team building activities or, I go to an event with my kids, you know, recently we did this fall festival carnival and the kids and I, my kids and I ran a volleyball booth. 
Mm. And it was so interesting to see everybody let their guard down, you know, because we were throwing these bean bags. Um, it was just a tic-tac-toe. And so when the family would come up, we were made for like six years old and under, you know, the tic-tac-toe bean bag. <laughs> yeah. So I would invite the dads and the mom and I'm like, especially if the kid got a tic-tac-toe, like, okay, dad, come on in and get the tic-tac-toe. Let's see, mom, can you do it? And so many people were so hesitant to throw a bean bag that's made for a toddler mm -hmm. because they could be embarrassed in front sure. of their friends. And, you know, it was interesting how some parents would come in and they're like, sure, I'll throw, who, who cares whether I make it or not? I'm here having fun with my kid. But the vast majority of them had to think twice about throwing mm -hmm. a beanbag. Yeah. That's interesting, right? That whole process of it being safe enough for us to be ourselves. Yep. Like, where is it safe enough for me to be me? And again, you know, I think a lot of us walk around like terrified that we're going to be ashamed or embarrassed or whatever. And what is that? I mean, that's an embarrassment that someone's going to see me at my worst or they're going to see me at my most awkward or they're going to see me stumbling for words or whatever. You know, and, it, and it's, it's sad, but very common that we bring this with us into society. And I agree with you. I think it's much sadder when we bring it into our most intimate relationships. Right. Because I think that dynamic, what you're talking about, like a great example of the beanbag, is something, think about people coming into marriages. You know, they just got through the honeymoon period, everybody's singing and dancing, we're so excited. But then we have to, you know, get into the process of just being in our everyday experience and we are going to eventually get caught having right. totally human reactions everything that goes on in our life. Right. We're going to make a mistake. We're going to throw up. We're going to, you know, make a bad investment. We're going yeah. to, you know, say something we shouldn't, you know, right. it's amazing. But the, the swiftness in which some of this stuff is handled today, you know, and I think it's, it's, again, it's in that digital fastness that we live in. Yeah. Um, at one of the jobs that I consult at, I said to a guy, um, you know, if, if, if you had done this in nine out of the 10 companies I consult, they would have fired you on the spot. The fact that this person did not fire you and was willing to work through this with you speaks a lot about his respect for you and you should respect him. Huh. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Now yeah. I know the guy didn't like hearing it from a girl, didn't like hearing it from a younger girl, didn't like hearing it from me. Uh -huh. So he blocked me from all his social media. This is a grown man. Uh, social media is a big part of our business because sure. of the sales aspect. Yeah. And I was dumbfounded going, you could have said to me, I don't appreciate the way you talk to me. I didn't appreciate. We could have had a discussion. Yeah. But instead you nodded at me, crossed your arms, then went uh, back to your computer terminal and blocked me from three social medias, which again, what do you do with that? I know you can't fix all the people around here, but <laughs> you talk about weird passive aggressive. That was like a digital way of ignoring someone. It's, it's, it's a great example, though, of what we're talking about is that somehow or other, we know that intimacy has this incredible uh, kind of uh, front-end cost, right? I mean, the front-end cost of intimacy is you are going to see me and you might even tell me that you see me. And if I am unable to let people see me as a human being, like literally being in my life, that I am going to have to eject you. I am going to have to amputate you. And that is a terrible, horrible, anxiety-ridden, uh, riddled existence. Like, poor guy, right? I don't really want to 
empathize with the guy, especially if he hurt you. But I feel like a person who cannot take this gift that you're offering him. You're saying, I see you and I want to use that vision to help you. Somebody else is willing to take that vision and work with you. That is the very definition of intimacy. And he says, oh, sorry, the front end cost of intimacy is so high. I have to symbolically obliterate you. And that, I do not think that is uncommon. In fact, I think that's why the nine out of 10 people were like, eject for him. He's doing the very same thing to you that was done to him 10 times when you come to help him. Only problem is you have to help him by actually seeing him and he cannot allow himself to be seen. Now, take this into the workplace and you've got what you're describing. Take this into the, the family, uh, you know, kitchen table and these are two parents that you know won't allow that you know they have to be in the sturdy kind of upright position they never really allow themselves to be human there is this example of the the woman that i i see in my practice she's now 80 years old i've been seeing her for quite a while she's dating a much younger guy you know he's in his 60s and and i and i adore this woman and and you know they have some difficulties in their relationship but she's so afraid that this guy's gonna leave her that she claims and i believe it's true that though they've lived together for 10 years and they sleep in the same bed and she gets up, say, 15 minutes earlier than him, he, she, he has never seen her without makeup. So, you know, these are the masks that some of us feel like we have to wear because we won't be accepted if we get seen for who and what we really are. Mm-hmm. And the Grant Danny and I project is all about encouraging people to take some of these risks. And they are risks. And like you said, when this dramatic and courageous risk that you took, these risks don't always turn out in our favor. They don't. No. Well, and, you know, when I was first a single parent, my kids were real small, um, Dr. Moore. They were like uh, three months old and two and a half years old when I filed for divorce. And Mm. as I was caring for my dying mom at this time and going through a foreclosure, there was a lot going on. I got a lot of advice Mm. and most of it was completely wrong (laughs) (laughs) because I had these two little kids that I'm responsible for fully financially, everything responsible for and running a company and making all these decisions. And one of the moms said to me, who's been a mom raised eight kids and they were supposedly all perfect. She's like, you know, you have to control them when they're this height, if you expect to control them when they're this height, you know, and made them short and tall. And then she said, never complain, never let them see you sweat, never let them uh, know you made a mistake or that you don't know what you're doing. And I remember thinking, like the Uber mom in our neighborhood. And it just, you know, I didn't know any better, but it made my skin crawl. Yeah. And I remember looking at my kids at this point going, because I used to keep them in my office. I'd have one in a car seat, one in a playpen, and then I'd switch them so <laughs> that I'd get my work done. I'd stick uh-huh. them in the car seat and rock it, you know, and I would do all these things. And I'm like, guys, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and I'm just going to tell you about them and we're going to move on. And yeah. even to this day, my kids are now 12 and 15. If they come to me because I said something and I made a mistake, Like my rule in my house is always, look, guys, I'm not perfect. I don't know anything. If you can come and make a clear, respectful, compelling dissent to something that I said, I'll I'll entertain it. I'll listen to it. 
<laughs> because especially yeah. as a single mom, I don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. And I'm navigating my dad and my kids. And not to yeah. say like how wonderful I am, but what a how relief. human you are. <laughs> you know, like, but how human you are. How human. But what a yeah. relief I can show up for my own kids yeah. and be myself. Like yeah. that's what we're talking about. Like yeah. You know, parents that are afraid to throw a beanbag or have to put on this all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent, benevolent spirit. It's yeah. like, that's God. That's not a parent. Right. And we can feel, I mean, again, if we're willing, I mean, I know it's hard sometimes, but if we're willing to be empathetic to those people, then we can actually look at that as a straitjacket. That's an emotional yes. straitjacket to have to perform all the time, to have to perform the good mom, to have to perform the great dad, to have to perform the big breadwinner, to have to perform the, you know, the, 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 the expert beanbag tosser. I mean, come right. on, right? You know, but like, the pressure, ooh, I have like, a, when you were saying that, like the pressure <laughs> to be that, you know, we only get so much emotional energy. We only get 168 hours in the week. That's it. That's right. Yeah. You know, so how do we want to spend that? Like my takeaway, you know, for today, um, you know, we still have a little bit of time left, but my takeaway is, is to give permission to show up yeah. who they are. Yes. Because, you know? Yes. Well, and show up as you are and let other people have their responses. And, you know, we can monitor those responses. I'm not saying that you show up as yourself and everybody's applauding. I'm not <laughs> saying that we get to show, you know, we don't. We show up as ourselves. People have their response. Hopefully we take in their response, especially the ones that are loving and caring and kind. We let those affect us and those become the real relationships in our life. There's plenty of relationships where people, for whatever reasons, are not going to be able to accept us as we are. I think that's usually because they don't accept themselves as they are. Fine. We Fine. don't have to get caught up in that, but we do get to keep looking for our allies. We get to keep working for and looking for the people who treat us in ways that allow us to feel loved and cared about and supported. You know, I mean, sometimes it's really simple. I, I, you know, I, my kids will ask me like really simple questions like, Hey daddy, what's a friend? You know? And I recently I said, look, here's a friend and this is how I judge friendship. A friend is the one who, when I'm, when something good happens to me, my friend is happy. When something bad happens to me, my friend is sad. Sometimes it's that simple. That is the ultimate, right? It's just building these alliances and allowing people to love and care for us as we actually are. And I think even more so in a long-term relationship, we don't necessarily know who we are. So the process of being in an intimate relationship, if we allow ourselves, is also finding out who we are. There's so much of ourself, I think, or we even sometimes think selves in my skills, school of thinking, but there's so many aspects of us that we only get to know by being in certain kinds of relationships. Right. Right. Because our relationships are friendships. They're mirrors. Mm, absolutely. You know? And a lot of times it's funny, like as I, I've been single now for 10 years, I was married for 12 years and I find myself going back to who I was in my twenties, who I was in my teens, who I was not immature and not those things, but the things that I love to do, you know, I've got my tomato plants and my dogs and my reading, you know, all these sure. things that I had put aside because they didn't fit within my, that marriage model. 
that I co-created. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not blaming anyone. It, it was, you know, trying to be what I thought a marriage should be, what I thought a relationship would be. And, you know, the unfortunate thing was most of the models, other than my happily married parents until my mom passed away, was television, books, sure. and what the religious institutions taught us. Yeah. And none of those really taught us how to receive, mm -hmm. how to ask for space and time. Sure. Yeah. And That's to right. respect the way you are made. We can all improve. Right. Right. But no, I think you're absolutely right. Be, there has to be that baseline acceptance. Right. I think the other thing that I think you're absolutely right. I think the other thing that we don't always see a lot of, I know I didn't see any of this, um, is how people repair. Like what, what does a repair look like? What, what happens if my parents get in a fight? Is that just like, they just go off into other realms and then come back when they're all better, but they had nothing to do with the repair job. I mean, I will see again, our book, especially the second book has a lot to do with encouraging people to use, to make use of their conflicts, to make use of their problems in order to establish ways of repairing together. Because I think, you know, the infant research these days is telling us that healthy development does not happen in a linear way. It doesn't happen because parents get every single thing that their infant children's desire perfectly correct. They're telling us, infant research is telling us, that healthy development of emotional self and relational self happens mostly when parents and infants misalign, when, they, when parents miss, you know, uh, you know they, get the, they get it wrong when the children wants whatever, whatever. They go off the rails. They think that the healthy development happens because the parents and the children work together to get it back on the rail. In other words, it's the repair job itself. It's from going off the rails and getting it back on. That is where healthy development occurs. So well, that, so that makes important. a lot of sense because when you look at developing resilience in mm -hmm. military families, let's say, or resilience in single families, the thing that bonds us together is not getting it right. It's getting it wrong and putting it back together. Exactly. That is, that is actually, I mean, they even have a, a code word for uh, The shorthand is rupture and repair. Rupture and repair is exactly how we think of healthy development in parents and children. We have now taken our model, the irrelationship slash relationship sanity model, and this is a lot of what we focus on. You know, we've even developed some tools to help people use conflict to repair in ways where they can very consciously see that they are, you know, developing what we, what we call relationship sanity. And relationship sanity is simply defined as a balance in the giving and the receiving dynamic in the relationship. So, you know, so we've been working a long, 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 long time to grab hold of a lot of the issues you and I are talking about today mm -hmm. and try to articulate them in a way that's accessible, you know, for readers. Right, because, you know, it's, it's hard when you're in the trenches. It's like trying to teach a soldier to fight and people are fight, firing at him. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, it's really, that's really what a relationship is. And, yeah, and yeah. one of the shows I did a while back, and I can't remember who the couple was, but they kept fighting during the commercial breaks, and it cracked me up how they, <laughs> I can't believe you said this. And, blah, 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 blah. and then by the time they got back, you know, the three-minute break on the air, they were back in alignment. And uh, yeah. um, 
it was really funny for me. But then after I said, hey, guys, you know, you've been married a long time. You've worked together. You've co-created all these books. What's your secret? And they said, we have these little catchphrases that we use that when the other one hears it knows we've had enough, the mm. other one hears it and we repair. So I tried that with my current um, long-term relationship where I would say, that's right. You're right. And we'd both laugh and that would be <laughs> a sign to say, we got to agree to disagree. Let's move on. Or we'll find something positive in what the person is saying and affirm it. Yeah. So that it doesn't spiral down. But those yeah. are like two little mechanical tools that keep it, that allow us to repair it before it gets too unzipped. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, it's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, it probably, you know, I mean, because this theory of rupture and repair has been around a long time. You know, it's been around, you know, a guy named Tronic wrote papers about it in the late 80s. A guy named Daniel Stern wrote a book, uh, The Interpersonal World of the Infant, uh, back in 85. So, I mean, we have been thinking a lot about taking our early investigations into being human and seeing whether or not we can, you know, apply them to we adults who are still, like you said, you know, on the front lines of the battle, trying to learn how to, you know, fire the weapon. Right. <laughs> like, right. Oh, and I just remember what the guy would do. Huh. Say he would go, wee! And he would start <laughs> doing two commercial breaks. And I, I just what if, you know, does he have Tourette's? Like, what is going on here? And then he defined, he said, when his wife is really yammering at him and he's had enough and he doesn't want to respond, he'll go, wee! Because he That's, said, make yeah. that sound. How yeah. can you not laugh? That's good. That's good. Yeah, maybe I'll try that one myself. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, you know, yeah. wee! Like, I, um, I love that. Because it is, he said it was like the relationship roller coaster ride, and it's not yeah. becoming fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Having these conversations or writing these books are so important because there are tools out there that can make a difference. We yeah. don't have to have the highest divorce rate, you know, of industrialized nations. We really yeah. don't. No, we don't. I mean, and and, the, and again, if you. If you do believe in some of the old theories, you know, like I mean, some baby bathwater theories of, you know, our school of thinking, which is psychoanalysis, you know, there is this thing called the, the repetition compulsion. And we do believe that if you don't get a handle on what you're doing, where you're doing it, the likelihood is you're going to find it again. You know, Absolutely. we seem to be experts at recreating old emotional scenarios and either one, playing them out exactly as they went failure included, or two, hitting pause, looking at our partner and saying, okay, look, I'd prefer to not do this with my next 10 relationships. Why don't we work together to figure it out and deal with it now? And, and, and it's very possible. It is. It is. If both parties are willing to, you know, take a step back and go, wow, this is my part of it. This is, you know, because when I, I was through, we went through five or six different therapists in my marriage. And what I learned from that is even if your partner isn't willing to change, you go and you change. Exactly. Because one of two yes. things is going to happen. You know, it's like if I if I change myself, everything's going to change around me anyway. So I don't yeah. have to worry about changing you, Mark, or, you yeah. know, Grant or Danny. You know, <laughs> I don't have to change them. I That's change, a beautiful, yeah. change That's a beautiful example. I had a patient this morning, actually, who I, I'm giggling because I had this guy. I've been working with him for a while. And he, he's divorced. You know, he's remarried in his second marriage. He has a kid. And he still has a, an older kid with his first wife. And 
he's got all of these troubles that he's dealing with because the two wives, you know, they, they don't like each other and they tries to get them together and whatever, you know, he tries to make an alliance. Again, there's the three again, right? There's yeah. the guy in the middle of these two marriages or an ex-marriage and a new one, two kids or whatever. And he's sitting here today and he's saying, God, you know, I'm making no progress. Like neither one of these women is getting any better, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, maybe not, but someone is. You know, and I said, it's you. He hated his ex-wife. He hated her. And he didn't want his new wife to have anything to do with it. And he was protecting her and whatever. He was so, you know, sort of blocked from even the idea that he would work to create this alliance between these two women and him in the middle of this. And he has had to, had to dip into, delve into every bit of kindness, every bit of generosity, every bit of love that he's had in his heart, even for a woman that for a while he really, really hated. He doesn't hate her anymore. In fact, he likes her and he wants this thing to heal. I'm like, man, recovery is yours. We can hope and wish it for them, but for now, take it. Let's take it. You know, I love your example. Well, and anybody who's had children know that you don't have the power to change them. You know, you can spend your whole parenting, you can guide them, you can influence them, but at the end of the day, and maybe it's just because I have, I'm raising Niles and Frazier, like the TV show, you know, but they're very strong individuals. They have their beliefs, they have their feelings. And when you allow your kid or maybe your partner to express them and you get to know who you are, you realize how little influence you really have over people. Because I think a lot of people will nod and tell you, yes, I agree with you. In your head, they're like, she's full of shit. You know, the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. But when you're authentic and you create authentic relationships where people can be themselves, then you have an opportunity to change together or to, you know, I did this thing recently, Dr. Mark, where I noticed my older son was kind of puffing up like sides of my family that have weight issues. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I'm going to the gym every day, so I'm eating, and I'm eating pretty good, not great, but I was allowing him in between his sports seasons to just eat at will. Uh-huh. And I knew if I came in and told him, you can't have this, you can't do this, that would be like, you know, buddy yeah. hands, because he's a teenager. He's not going to want mom telling him what to do. So yeah. I said, hey, you know, I have to watch this documentary for work, which was true. Would you watch it with me? And it happened to be a documentary on weight gain on grains on snacks and sugars and sodas and all these things and I started taking notes and he's looking at me like he's like why are you learning this and I'm like I'm learning it so that I can have a better better help I can have a better and then I noticed he gets out his phone he's taking a few notes you know and there's a way of changing together and influencing but he had to take the ball and pick it up and he yeah. did he lost like six pounds in two months, wow. you know, and things yeah. like that and eating healthy by his choice with we, me not holding a rod over his head. I don't yeah. think you can, yeah. I don't know. You're a, you're a, you're a psychologist, psychoanalyst, you know, mm-hmm. you're changing people for a living. But what I heard you say about this guy is he's the one you might've guided him, directed him, influenced him. But at the end of the day, isn't it up to him? Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, we can do a lot of modeling. I even, you know, that's a, I like the example of you. Like, hey, I'm going to, you know, look at these, you know, whatever issues, diet, exercise, etc. I mean, I even go so far. I mean, I'll just say like my, my wife and I, we do work like a lot of the stuff that we're developing, Grant and Danny and I, you know, we're kind of like, a, you know, we're like test subjects, right? You know, like, and, and it's funny because 
we, we, at first, you know, we kind of closed the door and we'd have these arguments or whatever. And finally, like the kids were so curious, we finally think, you know what? What if the kids sit at the table and they watch us do what we call the 40, 20, 40. It's this mm -hmm. like couples inventory where we actually try to account for who's responsible for what in a fight, you know, or an argument. And we decided that we'd let the kids sit down at the table while we had this structured inventory of what just happened when we're having a conflict or problem. And it was amazing. Number one, we, we don't swear. <laughs> you, know, right. you really like, you know, you do watch your language, et cetera. But number two, like the kids are actually seeing this living, breathing version of two human beings who they really, you know, need and look up to and all this actually going through the process of, of repair. It's, it's like, I mean, it was kind of a no brainer. Yeah. Fighting fair. Well, that's what our tools actually help couples do too. We really are very interested in helping people fight fair so that they realize that we even go so far as to say, look, if you're in a relationship and you think you've got no part of the problem, you think that you are completely, you know, sort of credit free, credit, i.e. blame, you know, free, then you're in big trouble because then you have zero power to change. That's you have right. zero power to do anything about it if it's all your partner's fault. So we develop these tools. We're role modeling these tools. At least my wife and I are for our children. Danny Grant and I are working through the using these tools to maintain who knows you know we might have a third book we might have a 12th book you know we we do work together regularly we have two blogs you know we have things that we do so i mean we're like it's almost like we're the best customer what you know all you can give is what you have right right Right. You know, it's and one it's thing wonderful. to write it on a piece of paper doesn't make it true. It's right. another thing to say, hey, this worked for me. Maybe yeah. it'll work for you. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So the book of the hour is Relationship Sanity, uh, Creating and Maintaining Healthy Relationships. The authors are Dr. Mark Borg, Dr. Grant Brenner, and Daniel Berry, RNMHA. Now, where can people find this book? Oh, you can get it at uh, here in New York. You can walk down Union Square and you can get it at the Barnes and Noble. It's still there. Um, otherwise, every bookseller, it's at Amazon. Uh, we we have two um, we have two blogs on psychology today. One is called Irrelationship. One is called Relationship Sanity. You can access it there. We also have a website called Irrelationship.com. But mostly, I think if you just type in you know Irrelationship or Relationship Sanity, Mark Borg, you'll you'll find the book. It's that's yeah, pretty well Googleable. Great, great. It's a great manual. It's great for anybody who is interested in having a healthy relationship with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, and with your partner in life. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.